Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everybody, I'm John Hindorf. Welcome to this special programme on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. Coming up, an evening with Tom Christensen, recorded live at the Royal Automobile Club, Pall Mall, London, England. To introduce the evening, the chairman of the RAC's motoring committee, Duncan Wilshire. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and a very warm welcome to the Royal Automobile Club. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here in the presence of the most successful driver in the history of the Le Mans 24 Hours. Tom Christensen. Tom, it's very, very good to see you here this evening. Now, between 1997 and 2014, Tom won the Le Mans 24 Hours a record nine times for Jaros Porsche, Audi and Bentley. Uh, and he finished on the podium on five more occasions. And in fact, in a period of 18 years, he was on the podium every time his car made it to the finish. It's no wonder that this great sports car driver is known as Mr. Le Mans. Now, our host this evening is uh, motorsport commentator and broadcaster, John Heinhoff. Welcome, John. John has spent more than 30 years behind the mic of some of the world's greatest racing events and, of course, knows Tom very, very well. The duo will take you on a fascinating journey of Tom's 30 years in motor racing. Ladies and gentlemen, please do enjoy the evening. Thank you very much. No driver has won Le Mans more than Tom Christensen. In a race whose history is almost a century long, the Danes' record of nine victories stands alone. Born at a petrol station... It was destined that Tom would grow up and spend his life behind a steering wheel. He has won races in every series he has ever contested. From karts, through Formula 3 in Japan and DTM in Germany, to the world's greatest motor race, Van Quatre Heures du Monde. The man known as Mr. Le Mans retired from professional racing in 2014 after a career of over 37 years. Today, one name stands alone as the most successful sports car driver in the history of motorsport. Tom Christensen. Thank you. Thank you. And it's really great to meet so many like-minded people <laughs> on a Monday night in, uh, in London. <laughs> Will you, John? Thank you. Before we get into your career, let's talk about what you've been doing recently. You're over here for 
the Goodwood members meeting. You've been a big, big supporter of, of Goodwood and, and everything that happens down there. I think a little round of applause from second to <laughs> from the pit lane to second. That was a stunning drive, and that was a stunning car as well. And given your association with Le Mans, that car that you drove at the weekend had sort of a Le Mans history, didn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, I, I always wanted to drive a GT40, and it, it certainly became easier when I realised that it was an original car, uh, Alan Mann manufactured car. I mean, that's obvious from the colours for many, but um, it had... Uh, it didn't win at Sebring, but it raced at Sebring that year. And it also did pre-qualifying at Le Mans, where it was actually third on the, on the, on the times. And that was in Le Mans 1966. And <laughs> looking back a few years, we've all seen the story of, of the Ford versus Ferrari, Ken Miles, and, and the beautiful GT40s there. So it was nice to be in this one. It was driven by a certain Graham Hill and a Scottish driver called uh, Jackie Stewart. So, in that sense, it was really cool to be, yeah, just to be driving that car and getting that sensation. Serious question. Can you imagine? It was a serious answer. I know it was. <laughs> See what I've got to put up with down through the years, ladies and gentlemen. Can you imagine driving something like that, two drivers only, at Le Mans? Um, I know Le Mans wasn't exactly the same in those days, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I could imagine that. I mean, Achilles' heel, I know straight away, and I realised straight away... That is, you've got a, a knife-edge, uh, sharp throttle. You've got a very, very short uh, travel on the clutch. Very, and then you have quite a long travel in the gearbox. Oh. So you can imagine on a, on a guy who wants to be fast, you have a short travel and a long gear. That, that can very easily, is not going head-to-head. -head. So long travel on the edge pattern, five-speed box. So that means close to you, you have first, third, fifth. And actually, I'm told that the gearbox moves a little bit depending on how, how the car is rotated around the corner and how much load you have on the car. So actually, the most difficult I realized was the first time I drove it on the... I had... The, the gear knob was moving. Like a rotating around. It was rotating, but it was not unscrewing itself, but it's rotating. That was... Yeah, I can... That was a rhyme. It was very irritating. And I told that to the mechanics, and they were, I could realize, they, after I said it third time, they realized, all right, they'll have to do it, and they did it. And after that, I was much more precise, to be honest. Mm. Or we both were, also my teammate, uh, Sam Hancock. And I spoke to some of the others. I mean, Lotterer was in it, and Marino's brother, Dari, was driving another uh, GT40, and so was Gordon Shedden. And they said, all, yeah, oh, it's a wonderful. It's really when you can say the... the, the the, the GT cars really comes alive because I drive a car which is less than, I think, one, one, uh, two, uh, two and a half years younger was the, the, the Shelby Cobra, mm -hmm. which I also drove. And, and actually, when talking about a, a trophy, we won a, uh, the, the, um, the celebration, Royal um, Automobile Club, the uh, TT, Tourist Trophy. Tourist yeah. trophy. Um, and that car has the same engine, but, of course, it's much more of a handful, in a way, than the GT40, and um, probably three seconds slower um, at, 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 at the circuit than that one. You're supposed to be retired, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but quite clearly, you love coming back to Goodwood. We've got I, members from the Goodwood Road Racing Club here 
this evening. How, how important is, is coming back to, to that type of meeting and driving and racing in those type of meetings? It's fantastic because here you really care about the heritage. You care about the history. And uh, there's no better place than, than Goodfoot for the uh, Goodwood. Now, I nearly said Goodwoof, but I'm, I, I, uh, I'm, that's coming. But for good, <laughs> but that's the pedigree dog show yeah. that uh, Lord March hasn't worked on yet. <laughs> but it's really, it's really impressive uh, to be there. And as I said, like-minded people. It's uh, you have a lot of knowledge about the cars, and there is so many cars. And every time I come, there's always popping up five or six other cars. And then you hear, yeah, yeah, but you know the these and that, and the Sunbeam and and the um, and the Mustang, and then you've seen the Capri. These have all been modified. They have gone through restoration. You cannot believe. So every time it's it's very you can say it's all everything is moving and performance are really going up and going good. So it's always very interesting. But I like my favorite event coming here. It's no, it's clearly the revival because everything is back. And uh, having my dad here when we actually drove that um, the Daytona Cooper. Uh, um, my dad was here with me and that was one of the final races we were traveling to together and 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 uh, to see him being a former racing driver that maybe you have seen in some of the pictures running before um, my dad uh, really said this is this is the best thing he's ever been to so i will i will be keep coming for 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 many years, there's no doubt about that. Okay. The member meetings was a bit more for, I think, for car enthusiasts. There was a yeah. bit more dynamic in it, which I also love. But, of course, the whole thing about the revival in, uh, is, is, is very fascinating. You'll be welcome any time you want to come, I think it's fair to say. Um, let's talk about the book. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing to talk about is the title, Mr. Le Mans. Um, yeah. that, that is... Uh, a title that you aren't that comfortable with. It's like when, you know, people talk about Mr. Formula One or Mr. Whatever. Mr. Le Mans, where did that title come from? And, and were you happy with that? It's, I don't know. It's probably... Um, it has my name on it, and that's all right. But the rest spelled is correctly as spelled well. Spelled correctly, yeah. Know. But I mean, it's it's uh, it's probably a bit commercialized in that sense. But people have agreed to it, and uh, there has been more people who suggested uh, that that was the thing. And in the end, I gave um, I gave in. And um, I have to say, you can call me whatever you want uh, in that sense. <laughs> but uh, it's obviously a race I love. And I only have fond memories of, of, of Le Mans. Uh, I've learned a lot even from diversity of the bad things happening. Uh, these things have made the good things even better. So, um, but when people think or talk about my career, which is a lot more than Le Mans, uh, a lot more than Le Mans, but there it seems uh, my success really, really gelled. So. When we talk about your career, Tom, we've got to talk about your dad. Was it inevitable, given how it, it all started and given your dad's love of all things cars, that, that you were going to go into motor racing? And what are your earliest memories? Start with that. What was your earliest memories of motor racing with your dad? I obviously don't remember this one, but I think when looking at this... <laughs> but but sure? I think But this picture is, 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 of course, something which I has been reminded of. And also when you're coming there 
hand in hand with your mom or your dad, and um, and people were saying, looking at me, and they always go, so, ha, ah, Carl, sorry for your last race when you retired, but you you did well, and but sorry for the retirement. And by the way, hey, you little girl, are you going to be racing driver? <laughs> little girl. That was sort of the the things I heard a lot. So I always heard about it, and then was had that direction uh, going. And uh, suddenly it became more. I, 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 I love being at the circuits, Ulan Swing and Ring Land or some of the the other circuits. But what I looked at most, apart from asking for nice stickers from STP or Duckhams or Michelin or Shell or whatever, I, I, I really had so many stickers uh, collection from from those days, which uh, which sort of inspired me. Uh, and seeing uh, the karting and seeing the karting world was something uh, which attracted me me more at the at the early days. So that's that's how it started karting. We, we should we should talk about what your dad was racing. In those yeah. days, escort. Mark Remember one. this, Mark One escort. Yeah, I was not very. This is very early seventies. So at this time, I probably have been four, four years old or something like this. I, I, I know where this picture is taken though, and I maybe there's people here who has been there. I don't know, but uh, you're all so young. But it could have been. Uh, it's Ipswich Stadium. Is that yep. correct? Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of a world hot rod championship. And uh, my dad was, um, yeah, he was, he was cool. He was fast. He was good. He had, he had more talent than me, uh, but he never had the, the material to, to do really well. But he loved coming here. They took the boat from Esberg to Harwich, and uh, there was um, always three or four different teams uh, coming over. And he had um, a good relation with will. With, with some great British uh, British people, but um, sometimes he borrowed on the other way. Uh, Barry Lee's uh, oh, some yeah, of his yeah, yeah. Uh, escort. I got some of his older cars uh, back to Denmark. So in that sense, he was he was going very well. But I think they were always running on the last engine miles because he kept <laughs> he kept breaking a lot of differentials and uh, some valves as well. So I think he was a bit bit hard on material. I love the fact that that's Danish bacon sponsorship. Oh yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. You, you all remember that, don't you? If you're <laughs> Danish, remember that. What happened to that? Can you can you imagine racing those type of cars now? Even the equivalents of those type of cars now in in hot rod racing. Um, you do all the you do all the time, Marino. Of course you do. Um, but you wish you still had that car. Yeah, we have. Well, my brother and my dad actually. Yeah, my dad went. Um, he had the, the the sickness for for some years, but it was always uh, an idea that he wanted to do race with us. So we have an escort mark too. But uh, so I have um, a little share in that. But uh, yeah, he never got to race that because he never got healthy enough. But that was always his. That was our ambition and 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 dream, which unfortunately didn't materialize. So I will race it with my brother one day. Well, Tell us when you're going to do that, won't you? Let's move on to your early days. Quite traditional. Started mm-hmm. off in, in karting. This is the world champs at Lido de Gerslo. And you're leading. Um, we picked this picture. You didn't win the, the final, but you were leading in this picture against yeah. some pretty decent opposition in those days. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's the following year I finished second at the world championship. Mm-hmm. But here, this is my first international race in, in the senior category. 
and um, and yes, uh, it was too early. I was leading, and it was my first final, and um, and yeah, I, I finished only fifth. But it's Lasse Forsman, Rob Finesse, Mike Wilson, and Jan Hase who just had won the World Championship as the first Dane to win the World Championship the year before. So you can imagine having then the first international race the following year, and then uh, a little idiot like me suddenly was there, and about that was really uh, important for my career at that time. And I think when I look back at my career, I've always been lucky to have been in a very good position in whatever I have done different of categories the first time. That's something which um, it's difficult for myself to explain it, even though that, uh, or except that I really want to do well. You know, when you, you, you get presented a chance of something new, we all want to achieve it. We all want to do whatever is possible to do best. And there it seems that um, at least I was irritating for a lot of people at this particular race. But it nearly wasn't motorsport. It was nearly soccer. It was nearly football for you, wasn't it? It, it, it Yes, it was. Um, I played soccer at the same time, and my particular my mother always said it's good to do team sport. And I tried to explain that motorsport is a, is more team sport than anything. And uh, she said yes, but one out of a thousand will 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 not be able to live from it. You need to be able to work. And I actually was educated from business school and and did the bank uh, and did a, was educated as a bank clerk. So, uh, of course, these things uh, had to go hand in hand. Um, but there it was uh, a, a, a card dealer who uh, looked me in the eye and said, football, are you ridiculous? Come on, come on and do some proper sport and don't tell your mom. You When you go to football, you come to me. And he helped me a little bit at the early age and um, and brought me some old chassis and uh, sometimes old tires, but sometimes some new tires at the right times. So it was very motivating, and that's, that, that sort of started my early career. However, you oh. still had the footballer's haircut. <laughs> this was a archetypal footballer's mullet at the time. What's, what's the story here, Tom? I don't know, yeah. Woody, Woody Fuller from Germany? Is yes, that what you mean? Yeah, yes uh, absolutely. And we, many in the UK as well, by the way, with, with that kind of haircut. You promised not to take this picture because my wife said, don't show this picture to anyone. You have never been more ugly than with this haircut, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true that I did say at the same time that actually this is the year when I met her. So she must have been feeling a little bit attractive or something. Uh, and it might have been the hair. But the long hair, curly in the back, was, uh, was the thing in... It was the 80s. 84, I think. Yeah, it was the 80s, ladies and gentlemen. We all went through it, didn't we? Yeah. At some, at some stage. Let's rapidly <laughs> move forward through into Le Mans. Because, and we're missing out quite a lot, but it's all in the book. I remember this year very well. Because this was 1997. And with Porsche. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a lap record. Um, a, a win. And this young, not unknown, but not well-known Danish driver brought into this squad at quite last minute. Uh, Four days before sign-on, I think. Okay, that's last minute. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I got the call from Ralf Hüttner. It's it's, it's a private US team, and 
many of you would know that it's, a, it's, it's called a TWR used Porsche, as the chassis is actually uh, a little bit of something which is uh, made, um, uh, made of, of the Jaguar, when the Jaguar had the silk-cut Jaguars. It's, it's sort of the chassis underneath is, uh, is from, from those days. But maybe we go a bit more in detail. I didn't know uh, any of that at that time. But getting that call, I, I was playing tennis with, um, with a good friend of mine, or reasonable good friend, because he beats me in everything we do, if we go run, if we go a cycle. And we were playing tennis, and I was behind in the third set. And in and, and, uh, 97, I just had this mobile phone with this antenna, which unfortunately got the signal, and it was laying in my back. Ding, 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 and sorry, Henrik. And I was behind, taking the phone, ask, uh, answering. And Ralf Jüttner in Germany, hey, Tom, could you be interested to drive at uh, Le Mans 24 hours? Brave, uh, when he, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> when is that? Tom, cut it short. If you're interested, we need you here uh, during the day tomorrow or latest Friday morning uh, for some discussions because uh, it can be you or it can be a couple of others. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, I had it down. And, and then four days later, obviously, we fl were flying down to Le Mans uh, in, uh, in US private plane with his wife. And she um, and I was sitting with her in the back, and as we were coming close to Le Mans, she was looking at me and hmm, is this really the right guy to partner Michaela Alboreto and uh, Stefan Johansson? And um, and she tells a story about you know it's good this year. I realized we have the number seven on the car, and uh, again, and it's always good for us with Jost and Reinhold likes number seven. Uh, I'm um, Brigitte, uh, oh sorry, uh, Miss, uh, Mrs. Uh, Joost, I'm born 7767. <laughs> good, you will be good. So it was, I already had her on my side, which was good. Always wise, always wise, Tom. McKaylee and Stefan, how were they as teammates? Because you were the newcomer. Yeah. They, they were the established members of the team. It, it, could have been awkward. It was not awkward at all. Reinhold was sort of the hard overlooking guy. Uh, I had to prove myself for him and the mechanics. I mean, they, uh, they were younger. They were probably my age now, but they looked, you know, it was 12, 12 people in the team. It was a one-car team, but they were all looking pretty stiff and not small nut once in a while was what sort of came to me. Uh, Ralf Jüttner was very good because he was he kind of invented me. I realized that he had pushed for me to be in the team. Uh, Michaela sitting in the car, uh, knew the car and had done the, the testing, the preparation of, 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 of getting this project to work because um, and then Johansson, uh, Stefan, they were teammates and very good friends, very good camaraderie between those two. But Michaela was um, very fundamental in my probably in my Le Mans career when you take the whole thing because you know if you don't do it right from the beginning you might not get other opportunities but the way that he not telling me hey Tom can you you have to when you come on please can you do that and uh, I want you not to no he never said anything he's come uh, Tom I followed your career in Japan I mean, it's very impressive what do you think about Suku circuit 
and I explain about Suku circuit, or he will go, ah, yeah, and also, do you know what the words? So always just normal conversations. And then some, once in a while you go, and I can then get the confidence to ask about um, Le Mans in itself, which gear you use here. And, and he, he couldn't really know it. So I asked him, can you go on the track with me? And we went on a, he didn't want to run it as I would do, but we went on a scooter together on the track. There's not much data. We didn't have any data from the car because it was sort of taken away from the, the factory uh, mm. teams uh, running the car in America. So we didn't have uh, any data at all. So it was just mouth to mouth. And he, um, he told a bit about the circuit. He think he's third here or maybe second. I said, come on, Mickey, you, what gear you think you will be in? And, and, and that was sort of the conversations we, uh, we went forward with. Did you realise when you ended up on the podium with the big trophy what you'd achieved and, and what it could lead to? No, not not at all. But I was just uh, incredibly happy and 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 proud because I mean, yeah, there's more in the book, but there's something which just by making the book, which became which came to the light, and that was that uh, I only did seventeen laps in practice. So when when I because I had to do a test, I was contracted to do a Formula Three thousand test in Austria. So I had to rent that private plane I arrived in for 17,000 uh, German marks, which uh, unfortunately even we won, I still had to pay. But um, um, So I came back and missed quite a lot of practice time. Mm. So I was a lot of, under a lot of pressure. So the evening when I got in the car and doing, I, I don't know if I did, I probably only did two stints at, at that time, and, but there's an interview on an old Betamax tape where I think it's running too fast because I, I, I talk like I'm on helium. I come out of the I come out of the car and I, I don't know I don't know I mean if you other have been driving with a lot of different cars on track different categories, you know how the feeling is that you don't know behind are you, it's it's somebody on your category you're passing two of the slower cars then you come through. Is that I mean Marino you can for sure agree on that. So you are always under constant pressure in a race. I mean even when you watch it on TV you don't see it because you you tend to follow cars and you're part of it, but then you jump to something else. But actually, at Le Mans, the, the story is that you are passing every lap I had done at Le Mans. You are in a, in a, in a, in a proto, uh, prototype, you are passing in average uh, six or seven cars per lap. Mm. So you are constantly very busy, but I was not used to that, in that to that extent. So my interview is ridiculous, and uh, I hope it will never be shown to anyone, but I'm so <laughs> Uh, just so impressed about the first thing. However, we do have a copy of that in the... No, it's... <laughs> God, if only, if only. Uh, but, but I have to say, I have to, I, what I wanted to mention was what came about in the book is something which... All of the things that Michele did to me and all the things which I, you cannot explain, but just you get that... Maybe I'm not saying fatherly, but you get somebody who you don't expect he will give you that much uh, confidence. He didn't, wouldn't give you that much, you can say, and then he does it. That was really what gave me the personal confidence in doing well. And when I get in the car at night, at 2 a.m. at night, uh, the rhythm comes, and the first stint is I don't use the tire to, to the limit. So se the second stint during the night goes really well, and the third stint is really going good. And suddenly, Ralf Jutner comes on the radio, and he said, 
Schnellste Runde, Tom. Schnellste Runde. Sehr gut. And the people who understand Germans, it's just calm and easy. It's good. You, do the, you did the fastest lap of the race. And, and this was really igniting me. And a few laps later, I get a clear lap. And this is something in the many drivers at Le Mans have never had a clear lap at the right time, even in their career. Mm -hmm. and, and that's also key. So when I then get a, got a clear lap with this in mind that I'm already doing pretty well, poof, fastest lap, fastest lap, lap record, lap record, keep it steady, keep it steady now. <laughs> so I mentioned it before, but when you get a German to talk to you in English suddenly, you, 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 that's a key moment, that's a key moment. So this is very much uh, Ralf, and you can say certainly also Michele. Stefan too, but of course Michele with his lovely, lovely man he was. And we all miss him, absolutely. You mentioned the Formula 3000 test that you were on. Your, your focus was still very much on single-seater driving, and you, know, you, you hadn't fully transitioned across. You still were thinking you had a single seat of career. This is, this is testing uh, in the following year, Manico, for what was then BAR, Tyrrell? It was still Tyrrell, but it, the, the, the liaison was done and it was sort of uh, Ken Tyrrell, uh, Harvey Pathway was on the way out and uh, the, BA, uh, um, uh, they, the, the others were, of course, on the way in with Adrian Reynard and, uh, and, and these people. Yeah, so it I got caught a little bit in the in the middle of that, and uh, I was close to make my debut at the at the French Grand Prix, which uh, materialized until the permanent driver actually continued. So it might have been a little bit to do with well, probably some some cash had to arrive. At the, I think oh, it might have cash talking in motorsport. Can't possibly believe that. No. But it was, I love the experience and in general of course all these things going along is I have never felt really safe at anything. So I, I, I accepted different things and it gave of course a lot of um, experience and which just helped. So it's just when you get these opportunities to drive different cars you should take them. And I think that even clicks today. So when you're going at Goodwood Sometimes you get tapped on the back. He said, Tommy, you like to have a go in the Ferrari Dino because the leading driver, he, he, he has to go to a birthday somewhere instead. Maybe you can drive it tomorrow. And you go, why not? That never happens to me, really. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, the lead commentator can't turn up because he's got to go to a birthday party. Can you fill in, Heindorf? just doesn't happen. So, so where were sports cars right here? You'd won Le Mans. You were a Le Mans winner, for goodness sake. Yeah. And so where is sports cars, and you're thinking, when you're sitting in, in this car testing at Manico? Yeah, there, there was still a, there was a lot of, a, let's say, contact. There was a lot of... And, and, and even what was difficult to, to get one drive, suddenly I had four manufacturers after winning Le Mans in 97. I had the opportunity to go to, to, to more and, and to discuss that. And of course, that becomes also that's also a problem because you cannot drive for four manufacturers in one year. Uh, so uh, I choose to go with, um, with 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 a company from uh, Munich with three letters um, with a wonderful V12 engine. Um, maybe yeah, Bavarian motor, Vex, BMW, um, which was great. 
so I did that, and at the same time, I could do uh, touring cars for Honda in uh, in uh, Germany. Yeah. Um, and then I had these opportunities as well. So it was uh, I did everything: front wheel drive racing, uh, sports car racing, and single seaters. I'll come back to that BMW and, and your, your record at Le Mans in a moment. Here's you again, same track, Manny Cove, this time Williams. Um, yeah. What do you remember about this? This I remember. That, that, that's, um, this is the year when, in, in Williams, this is the following year, this is 99, and it's towards the end of the season where you remember Ralf Schumacher had a fantastic year and, and Alex Zanardi, who we all... Uh, love and like coming back from IndyCar after his fantastic success in over in the States and not be and struggling with Williams. And um, what I remember is I was at, in, in, at Nürburgring driving in um, STW, it's called, but the, the Honda with the Honda Trinka. I got this call on my answering machines, with, uh, which I had. I would still have it if, I don't know, something is changed within the, the world of Vodafone and Danish. Uh, Mobile, I guess, but I had this answering machine going. Hello, good morning. This is Frank Williams. Uh, Tom, would you uh, have any interest in racing? Uh, sorry, testing my car at Magna Cour in next week. And that was one of the things. That... Hello, yes, I would love to. I really always was inspired by the Williams, and of course, particularly through the 90s. So yes, I. Uh, that's how I I went there. And uh, I guess uh, Ralph and um, and Alex stayed out in Asia because it was just before the between something and the Japanese Grand Prix. Yeah. We can't talk to you without talking about Audi, of course. Uh, pretty much everybody will in this room will associate you with with Audi and your tremendous success at Audi. Absolutely, I mean uh, th- that's Sebring. Uh, yeah. uh, that that p- particular picture. Yeah, uh, you came within that much of winning Sebring three times on the on the trot. Sorry to remind you about the pit lane speeding. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but Audi That's in, true. in the US and, and globally. But in, in theory, the pit lane speeding um, is, the speed, is the speed sensors. The car was not traveling that speed officially because uh, all, all, all four wheels were locked. So you can argue that the information to the driver, the speed was... All right, get on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell we've never had that discussion before, can you? Um, the, the distinctive Tom Christensen helmet there with the, the feathers, the stripes down the side. I want to talk about that a little bit because this comes out massively in the book. Um, tell me about the genesis, the origination of that that helmet design and, and how it developed down through the years? It's always, every time it develops, sometimes there have been different manufacturers, sometimes different designers, but I did the, uh, painters, but I did the design myself originally, close to just after my last karting year, I started to develop into this, but basically red for Danish and on, on pearl white, or white it was in the beginning, pearl white, uh, and then I used... To, I want to distinguish a little bit more than that and to have the yellow on top when, when you look the mirror or when you could can see many times it's, it is our ide- identification. And then um, the three fellows are my three children and that became evident later so they all bear, bear the, my name. And on the back my whole family tree, of course, but that's some 
it's all very personalized, and everyone, I think, every driver has that. And um, so a helmet is certainly very important also for me. Don't you miss open top sports cars, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, um, to be able to see that. Let's, let's move on to the Bentley year, 2003. Hmm. Pole position in 03, um, which meant that you had the pole position trophy. There you are with your teammates on the Friday evening, yeah. traditionally, mm-hmm. in the driver's parade at Le Mans. Tell me about what the atmosphere was like in, in the Bentley camp going to Le Mans in, in 2003. They'd been there before, um, but how, how was that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, between us three, it was fantastic. It was, uh, uh, yeah, Gerald Gino, uh, Ricardo, we call him because we had to be British. So uh, Rinaldo Capello was Ricardo on the insert in the seat. And of course, uh, Guido was then we made him Italian instead of being British, uh, Smith. And I was Timothy. And uh, so we were, real, we were real genuine Bentley boys. Um, we had a, a really a great camaraderie in a way. You can say Guy being a little bit younger than, than me and Dindo. Um, and I chose to have Dindo with me uh, and, uh, and asked Dr. Ulrich if that was possible. And, um, and he let him free from Audi. Why was that? Because I was partner with him in the um, uh, in American Le Mans series, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and <laughs> I can tell about Dindo. I mean, but then it will be a long evening. But uh, <laughs> a wonderful, a wonderful uh, character. Uh, completely no, a lot of uh, you can say insecurity as well as being incredibly confident. Hmm. But he has uh, he has no ego at all. And uh, that's why, I mean, anything, he can go in any racing car and he can be the glue between, um, between other uh, people. And also the, with Alan and myself, we had a long, probably the, or my longest um, serving year as a trio. And that was uh, fantastic. Very different personalities, all three of us. But we, we knew where we were for each other. We knew what we, what we could uh, do for each other. And that was, uh, that was really great. How was it taking a brand like Bentley? You'd raced for Le Mans. Yeah. Uh, you'd raced at Le Mans before. You'd raced um, and won at Le Mans before. Um, but how was it taking a brand like Bentley that hadn't been there for 70 years back to Le Mans? And what was the, the fan engagement like? After the win, it's no surprise. We actually, we actually won that race in 20... And that, that, was, that, was, uh, that was unbelievable. Suddenly we got, you know, I mean, we, we, from the PR or press departments of, of Audi, but now from Bentley, we got these uh, clips or things. But, you know, suddenly it's from uh, Vietnam, it's from Hong Kong, it, uh, it's from uh, all these places, front page news with Bentley, which we were not, it was really a breakthrough in that sense. So Bentley and the band of, of, <laughs> of Bentley boys and brothers were really uh, going good. I wonder. I think you touched a little bit about, but between the cars, it was optimized for the. It was the third year Bentley was going at Le Mans. There was optimization of the chassis, of personnel. Um, I was and Dinder were brought in in car seven, and in car eight, it was then David Brabham. It was Johnny Herbert. It was Mark Blondell, and um, there was a few German uh, f- technicians from Audi who had worked with our car with the R8. 
um, which were joined in as well. So there were some, uh, you can say, I would say healthy friction, but it was really competitive between the two cars. But at the end of the day, the, every data has to be shared. And there were some people, of course, taking action for that. But you could really feel that, hey, we, we, uh, there's a chance in, in, in a way in both camps. And we had a race which was incredibly strong and very fast. Was that the most perfect Le Mans you've had? I, I, I remember looking, and those of you that have been to Le Mans and worked at Le Mans particularly will know that the, the French uh, scouts come round at the end of each hour and hand you a printout of, of what the, the positions were at the end mm. of the, the last racing hour. We were still up in the Tribune on driver's left on the start-finish line there, and Bentley were never headed in the whole 24 hours, not even on pit stops. They were no. nev- not at the top of the hour, should I say. And there and was a lot of Audis as well, which were, correct. of course, run on the, on, in private hands, and they were, they were doing good. But I think the key for us, that was with Indo, uh, first and myself, after we did five stint on one of the narrow set of Michelins. Yeah. And that really, for us, put the... I don't know what... It, it really made the set that we, were, we would win. Somebody can look this up, but I've got a strong suspicion that, that Tom's car didn't spend 24 minutes in the pits, it seemed to be, for the whole, for the whole 24 hours. It was 32 minutes in total. Was it, is that what yeah. it was? I, I knew it was something ridiculous over the whole 24 hours, which is absolutely extraordinary. The French loved it as well. It was great news for the 24 hours of Le Mans. They blocked off the Champs-Élysées uh, and the car and the drivers got to, to drive down. I'm, I'm not sure how... Um, good that was for for the no. engine. In, no, I can tell you. Car. I mean, uh, it was not the French who it was uh, Bentley <laughs> Bentley Motors who uh, who shut it down. And this is at the very beginning. We actually go all the way to uh, Trocadero, mm-hmm. and uh, the traffic just gets more and more. There, it looks quite good, as you can see. It's uh, it's actually the. Um, so it, what are you just Bell. telling me that they just did this? They didn't get <coughs> any kind of. Police presence to close it down. I don't know. You should ask. I mean, well, how? What? What would Brits do if you go to France? Would you? Would you ask permission before you? Or, I don't know. I mean, I don't. But ask for forgiveness, not for permission. <coughs> mm. I. I don't know. I just remember it was a very hot day, incredibly hot, and it was a brilliant day. It was Derek Bell driving as um, Bentley ambassador, and at, the day before, he was. So uh, he was, uh, what do you call, happy and, 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 and celebrating that I came to five victories like his instead of being, instead of being a, what do you say, a pawn for it. Yeah. He was really embracing that. That's something which was incredibly good. And he had the honor of driving <laughs> the hot car. And, and already the, here, he's, he's screaming how hot it is in the car because it's just <laughs> idling all the way down, and the traffic gets more and more. And you can see on the left, it's uh, da- David, Johnny, and Mark. And we on the, on the right side it's, um, are sitting on the Bentley blowers. And you just hear the engine get warmer and warmer and warmer. And we, we're sitting watching it. And, um, and we hear in the background the, on the telemetry, the engine is getting too hot on water temperature. And... Um, it's an Audi engine, by the way, yes, who, yeah. which is, is put in a, a 3.8 uh, V8, so a, a lovely twin turbo. 
but um, suddenly the German words becomes a little bit louder, louder, and uh, Derek keeps going, and in the end it's just embraced by people and celebration. It's, it's fantastic, and when you see the sort of the paint starting to wobble on the on the on the back of the carbon, and um, and the water starts to come out. And we are finished. We are there. We make the pictures. And you just see in the background, you see engine people standing with their, <laughs> taking their hair out of their heads. And apparently, the engine has never been started again. But that's a secret. So that engine I think probably we should, not. We, no. should, we should leave this uh, Ulrich in Beretsky. this room. Yeah. Did you learn anything from that then when you drove the Audi <coughs> up to the track at Le Mans from Le Mans Town Centre a few years ago? I was there for that. And we had onboard cameras with you and, and all kinds mm. of things. So you drove a bit quicker for that one then, didn't you? Yeah, that was a presentation. It's, and, and it seems like in the, in the city of Le Mans, they, they loved it. So the safety car was driving ahead with the police and the police loved it. They floored the thing. They actually, <laughs> they actually went around a few corners uh, faster than I could because of, it was simply uh, too, uh, too bumpy for, uh, for a modern prototype. So uh, it, was, it was a lovely drive. But that was a presentation. In a way, this was a celebration. And it didn't stop there with the Bentley. <clears throat> the, the following week, uh, it was put to pieces to enter Savoy, another, Savoy, another mm -hmm. hotel in the neighborhood here. And to get in, it was as it was done in the early days when the Bentley boys had done well in the 20s or 30s when they all came. And this story is, of course, brilliant. That was repeated with Bentley. So this car was in the middle of the, of the ballroom for, the, for that celebration. That was a lovely night. You were there and you hosted when um, uh, Wolf Bernardo's daughter was doing pit stops with me Correct. later. And I was so happy. My, uh, I was not happy. My wife couldn't make it to that party, but I was told that I would get Wolf Bernardo's daughter as my uh, at, at the table, which was very nice. Very nice. <laughs> it was just before I entered that I realized, all right, she's 85, but what a lady, and what a oh. thing! What 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 a thing with being the first woman uh, to go through the sound barrier and uh, the, the, the book which uh, she sent me and uh, has been very, very nice. What is, uh, what is very sad, she died just before when uh, I, uh, I won in 2008, which many people of the, the motorsport, I mean, Damien Smith is here, and in 2008, uh, Le Mans uh, with, with Dindo and Alan when we uh, won that she unfortunately had passed away in May before um, around her 90th birthday I'm going to do DTM because this is from Brands Hatch you, you choose a lot of British pictures which is good because we are in England and a lot of lovely circuit of Brands Hatch you didn't win DTM and I know that that rankles with you you should have won this year and this was the race weekend lovely picture but this was the race weekend when it all slipped away yeah, I, I believe this is the, the, let's say we, or some other times we talked about pinnacles, but when you're at the top of something personally, what you think you're achieving good things. I think this race was my best DTM race mm -hmm. until. <laughs> mm. And um, this is in the summer, I think it's August. So we are already a bit into the season and I'm leading the, the DTM championship. I think I was uh, uh, on pole by nearly half a second at the Indy circuit, which is short. So <laughs> I really had a phenomenal lap, 
which I cannot really explain, but all the aerodynamics, tire pressures, everything, when it really works, you, you, you're able to go. I believe this is paddock hill bend. That's one of the things where it, it just suited that day, and so was the race. I, it's Jamie Green in, in the Mercedes mm -hmm. who is uh, following me at that time. Uh, it, it, this is probably in the race because he was running second to me, and uh, I was leading by seven seconds when I think we did a lot of laps. I don't know, was it 70 laps or something like we had to do in the DTM race? Yes. And uh, it, it's just, just around 50, lap 50, um, this, the suspension start to bend, and um, I still, I'm still going, but suddenly it breaks, and, uh, and I have to retire. And... Um, yeah, that, that helmet hurt, was very hurt. It apparently... <laughs> Didn't use that one again then? Mm, yeah, I did, but it was in the truck. I, uh, I, I, I lost it. It slipped out of my hands. And um, it, was, it was very upset. That, that hurt a lot. That still hurts, to be honest. So that was 2000... Oh, this yeah, was two, 2000. No, it's 2006. Six, yes. Yeah. And, Tom, in those days, DTM was... Very specialised. People came in from Formula One. People came in from uh, sports cars, top-level sports cars. And quite a lot of them didn't do very well. You did do well. But as I said, you, you didn't win. And I didn't win is, the is, championship. Yes, you, did, you won races. You did not win mm. the championship. That bother you? No. <laughs> oh, I mentioned before, it, 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 it bothers me a bit because... I, I think the greatest word, and I don't know who invented, but versatility, it, it, is, it, it is a word of passion. It is a word of dedication. And, and, and that also is what you try to aspire. You try to be good at different things. And that is versatility. And I think in racing, there are, there are some drivers which I really inspire from, uh, from being able to, um, to do different cars and, and, and to do well. And DTM with Audi after was, uh, we, we had the, 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 the Le Mans years. I mean, Dr. Ulrich and a few other of the, the, the people in asked me to, to do DTM, and I ran with Apt. And, of course, in the beginning, I was, I was struggling a bit, but at my seventh race, I won already in my first season, which not many people mm. uh, did. So I, I thought I had the speed to do it, and I won races. And after two years, I was the best Audi driver. But um, in 2006... Uh, uh, Bernd Schneider and the, a, a guy who at that time uh, were, were, were doing really well but he was, it was his last, his last uh, uh, championship and um, yeah, he just outsmarted us when we had these mistakes of course and uh, when we had to retire I would have had a, a lead by 17 points but instead I, I was caught at Brands Hatch But remember it doesn't bother him at all <laughs> No, not at all 2008, a massive year, not just for you and, and for Audi, but also for sports documentaries, and particularly motorsports documentaries. It's said without Truth in 24 that the movie Senna would never have been made. Truth in 24, for those of you that don't know, was made by a company who were used to making documentaries about American football, gridiron football. They'd never done anything in, in any other sport, never mind motor racing. And they came to Le Mans in 2008 and paid for by Audi of America, actually. Uh, they had a very decent budget and they put together quite extraordinary documentary. 
And what was more extraordinary about that, which perhaps some of you don't know, is the decision to mic up Howden Haynes, the lead engineer there, was made 40 minutes before the start of the race. It was never planned to do that. And it really kind of made the thing. The argument between Tom and... Sorry, discussion between Tom and, and Howden H... Uh, about tyres just goes to prove how sports car racing, motorsport, is is teamwork. And I mean, it, 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 it was it was fantastic. The, that year, we were clearly underdogs. Peugeot had killed us at Sebring. They they were miles ahead in qualifying. Um, I think three point six seconds on one lap in qualifying. So we, 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 we were taking all the chances we could, and, but we really mo- mobilized everyone. I mean, I've never seen Alan so uh, determined and the way he, you know, he gets the best out of people. Uh, that motivation from Alan, not alone in the car, but also outside, was um, impressive. Uh, Dindo even cared of things. <laughs> he was uh, in the box, you know, he was really uh, making sure that he could contribute with uh, being fast all the times and being in- incredibly focused. And the whole team spirit, as you said, Howden, he pushed the mechanics at the pit stop. We try and we do an extra pit stop again and again to get all these things uh, going. So that year, when you take risk and, 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 and it still worked and you didn't do... We did mistakes, but we were, all, we were always looking for the absolute peak. And, of course, we did mistake, but we managed to, to solve it. We had small spins. We were running wide at times. We had contacts. The car looked very used and battered after. But you are right, which is not this clip, but the clip towards the end of the race where it again came rain. Uh, I think rain came about five times doing the thing. Mm. And, of course, for our car, open car concept, that was what made us, without the rain, it would certainly not have been possible to win. But as... Uh, a certain actor uh, said in the in the film, it always rains at Le Mans, and it's actually funny. I meet a little boy called Oscar at the Goodwood members meeting the other day, in over in one of the stables where you can get food. I don't know, is he three years old, three and a half years old? And he comes with his dad, and the dad said, looks at me, and he said with a drawing, "Can you sign the book?" I said yes, and I asked, "What's your name?" I'm Oscar. What's your favorite car? I love Le Mans. What is it you say about Le Mans? What is it? It always rains at Le Mans. (laughs) What do you do? If you haven't seen it, or you haven't seen it for a while, I recommend you go back and watch Truth in 24, because even with the the addition of of Jason Statham to it, it was an extraordinary uh, piece of, of documentary film making, which really did change the the landscape and without that and the plaudits and the success that it had uh, quite he a lot also of put a lot of heart into it Lots you you interview in the movie by the way john is also pretty that good. was never meant to be in there that was us talking about how they asked us about that and they they asked us about what we thought Le Mans was about, and we talked about the variety, yeah. and we talked about the people. Yeah, it's uh, brilliant. That, but, that was but never nobody... meant to make it into the movie, so no, I was but, more surprised. No, no but what is very important to know about that, that, that's a proper documentary because it's not a documentary being made. We are just there, and we are yeah. being asked of interview to RFD of America in a few times, then it's somebody else. We never knew this is going to be anything, Correct. not at all, because this has never been done, and we were never focused on that. So this is 
three months after the race, we heard about that there yes. was they were starting to do that, and then the race was over, obviously. The drivers, the team at Le Mans, of course, it's a team sport, but also the fans at Le Mans. The, the fans are an integral part of Le Mans. It's been bizarre the last couple of years having very few fans or, or, or no fans. And you've always had great support from the Danes. That's the Danish flag if somebody's in doubt. I thought they were Sunderland AFC flags, red and white. It's the same oh. colour. It's almost the same anyway. 25,000 plus go down to Le Mans on a, on a whatever mm. a normal year looks like. I want you, I'm, I'm going to pass you this book here. I have to get up there, which is difficult. The relationship between the drivers, the teams, Le Mans and the spectators is something that throughout my broadcast career, and I've been going to Le Mans since 1989 working, I've struggled to explain to people. And yet, in a couple of paragraphs, in not his native language, Tom has summed it up perfectly. Can I ask you to read those couple of paragraphs from about halfway down that page? I like the idea that like-minded... Is that the one? Yeah. I like the idea that the like-minded meet to have the same experience, share a story together, a story that, for Le Mans, also involves what motorsport sometimes is, tragic destinies, neck-breaking accidents, and death. It's like you're never done talking about the race, which can be seen, felt, and experienced in wildly different ways. I enjoyed listening to spectators' experience of the races I've driven in, they usually get something out of, out of it that I haven't. Uh, these conversations most often reveal that we have experienced the race very differently uh, while imbibing the same atmosphere, smelling the same motor oil and having, yeah, for most of the time, a wonderful time. That's why the race gets to the very soul of those who are there. I see 2,000 things from my car that others just don't see Conversely, the people surrounding the track and in the pit have totally different points of view. Uh, together, it makes Le Mans 24 hours a collective adventure where anything can happen. And, and it always rains at Le Mans. <laughs> where anything can happen and, and usually does. You took your final Le Mans victory in that car, although I think that is a fabulous picture that was mm. taken at Spa just before. With uh, Alan and Loic, Loic yeah. Duval, Loic from Duval. France. The, uh, tell me about the transition into, into that car, the closed-top cars and the, and the diesel cars. Oh, yeah, it was a long journey, very different cars over the years and how they evolved, but certainly now a hybrid. It's a small, uh, small uh, V6 TDI, a single turbo. And with the hybrid system, everything got very complicated. We had suddenly pre-briefings were longer, debriefings even longer than that. And, and because you, the detail and, and in, in running and racing and in, uh, today is, is incredibly complex. Uh, driving them when they're on the edge, it, it's, it's fantastic. But then again, you can arrive at places where uh, the surface is a bit dirty. Maybe somebody had been off, maybe some... You, it can, you can get in, uh, you have to be incredibly alert uh, of these things. But driving it, it's very hot in degrees, um, average degrees over the, 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 the season were around uh, 40. And the hot days, you were over 50 degrees inside the cockpit, so incredibly warm. Uh, but the car were, were fast. Uh, 
you can't see really over the wheel arches, so the right-hand hairpins, you, 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 you felt the curbs when you, were, when you were there, and if you didn't feel anything, you thought you were a little bit wide, so uh, they, they were compromised for the best aerodynamics possible. So it was, um, everyone went at that time really, really sharp, and a 2013 car is, for me, the most aggressive race car and looks I've, I've been driving. As I say, you drove at the again after that. How do you make a decision after a career like yours? How do you make a decision to stop, Tom? What, what is it? Is it one thing? And, and how long does that decision take? Um, it, 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 it's, 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 it's a lot of things, uh, of course. I mean, I mean you, you saw some of your uh, teammates very happy around the espresso machine when, we, when I was running to the car. I mean... Uh, Dindo Capello stopped in, in 2012, Magnesian 2013, and then during the 2014 season, a few times when I was uh, having track walks or whatever, or going somewhere with um, Lucas de Grassi and Loic Duval, they, they put the baseball caps on in a different way. The music they listened to were a little bit different than mine, and, 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 and sometimes during the meetings they would go Uncle Tom, and or, he, or when I, I, I keep always pushing the engineers or the mechanics to do uh, optimized things. It might not be the gear level. It might be that we dim the lights in all the information on the steering wheel or on the, on, on the dashboard. So when you're driving a day, you need a lot, of, uh, a lot of light to be able to see the reflections. But then at night, it's incredibly irritating to have anything. So I want to dim it. And I was always saying, it's not dimmed enough, guys. You need to dim it. Mm. It makes you it's going to be dimmed more. And um, and the Loig and Lucas said, "Oh, yeah, if you want, that's okay." <laughs> and uh, things like that. There's something which is just happening when you get older. Uh, and I also love my family. And um, my dad had died the, the previous year, and of course, we know Le Mans in 2013 was was tough for a lot of other things. And I realized these. Many things you hear about Le Mans from other directions. Uh, I felt that that had a take on, on things like that. And then that summer I also enjoyed being at home quite a lot. So it, a lot of things like that. Um, I came to the decision that I would like to speak to somebody I really, really trusted, uh, Dr. Ulrich. Uh, I couldn't speak with my wife about it because that would be end immediately. But um, it took a few races and... Um, I think really around the, the Japanese round uh, that year, mm. it was more or less there. And in Bahrain, I, I had the meeting straight after, so I knew it as well. And then we made the decision to call it a day. Uh, and I uh, retired before, officially, before the last race in Interlagos. So going to Interlagos, I knew this would be my last race. So did the mechanics. And uh, we had a, a heck of a, a last race. And I think I'm really happy with the very difficult decision, of course, incredibly difficult decision, but I'm so happy with it, but I'm also very happy that everyone wanted to, uh, to help us having a good race. So I didn't put it in the pit wall or, or, or I don't know, putting the wrong crash helmet or whatever. But then how do you adjust? <coughs> you, you were travelling 200, 250 days a year, and then you weren't. And then you were maybe, I mean, it, for, for normal people, you were probably still traveling 100, 120, 130 days a year. But you, you, you were at home a lot more. You had yeah. weeks 
off, a week off, what do you do? Wander around your house with your slippers on and a, and a dressing gown? What, I mean, what? No, it's, it's, it, you're still at that time, of course, it's the thing being in shape. Not, I, gained, I have gained more than eight kilos you know, since I retired. And back then it was, of course, something you had to, to do and work at as well. But um, uh, life is never boring out, out, outside of the racing car. And, uh, and this is what you, I slowly, obviously, had to learn. And you have some fabulous memories and a nice trophy collection as well. The question that is always asked, and I've asked it a few before, so I think I know what you're going to say. How do you pick between your nine Le Mans wins, the, the podium finishes that you had, um, the, the races that got away from you, for goodness sake? You talked about that BMW year. That was a year you should have won, quite frankly. Could have won, yeah. certainly. Yeah, we can, we can talk about it. It's, it's a long career. It's, all, it's really all embraced in the book. It's not just Le Mans, but 99. Yeah, we had the biggest lead I had, and that's also... Mm. Uh, we talked about some key things. We talked about Michaela and, and, and Johansson, but the, the, the defeat in 99, when we had that lead with Elamar, uh, we won Sebring and we were, had nearly a four-lap lead. So when JJ had a broken um, a roll bar, leaned on the, the, the throttle linkage, so he, when he lifted off, the throttle, throttle stuck open in the Porsche corners, hit the wall on the right, went on the left, poof, car four wheels off, um, we were still leading for 15 minutes afterwards. And I was just hoping, hoping, hoping the car could get back to the pits. It's the most painful moment I've had in racing. And we all it, fell it, off for it, Dindo as well. It, yeah, but that was 2007. And yeah. Dindo was, of course, uh, uh, he, he had his helmet on for half, a, half, a, half an hour. And if I dare say, he, because he was crying, he was mm. completely... So He's for him, and, and, and he deserved uh, more victories than he got uh, at, at Le Mans, absolutely. But, um, but me, personally, after 1999, I was part of the winning car for, for six years in succession. And those, particularly the first four or five years, I never accepted any handshake of anything of, 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 of near victory before the car had passed the finish line. And I'm sure there's also a few people on a Japanese uh, car manufacturer who, who, who has that feeling. And that's yes. what Le Mans gives to you. And I think that's a little bit in what you asked me kindly to read before. Yes. It's about. Absolutely agree. Um, let's talk very quickly before we throw open some questions. I'm going to ask uh, you, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to ask any questions. We've got Rebecca over this side and I think Christopher over that side with some uh, handheld mics. Um, this was you winning the Tourist Trophy, the RSC Tourist Trophy at Goodwood, the Lanzani uh, Cobra. That's the trophy mm. that is sitting next to you. You've also won the, the uh, TT as well at, at Silverstone um, when it was part of the WEC in 2013. Yeah, then, yeah. then that, that's when we won the, the, the trophy. Yeah. That's the celebration in 2011, and my dad was at that race. That's what I mentioned before, so actually it's good you pick uh, the picture of that, and because I, I realized that this is the, it's the same engine as in the Ford GT40, and it's a bit screaming, V8, and um, we, had, we had put it on pole, both Kenny and me, Kenny Bragg, had done very good lap times, and 23s with this car, so we were really honoured and pushed each other. And then the day after, we decided that, uh, that Kenny should start the race and I should go second. All good. 
get closer to the race and you just see Tom turn around and you look over in the back and you see from Lavan coming in, it's black. It's just black. And it just starts, what Jason Statham said, raining. And the race was one hour like that. It just came a little bit in the beginning and then it really hammered down. There's no place at Goodwood with these tires that you, when you put the throttle, you're wheel spinning. In, in, in fifth gear, you're wheel spinning. And you are quite early in fifth gear, just trying to feed it better with a little less torque. But it's wheel spinning, so all the time. And by the time you finally get up to some speed, you have the worry that now you have to start braking again. And you're locking up everywhere, and you, every down change, you lock the rear if you don't heel and toe. And to get all that, what do you say? I mean, yeah, ideally a symphony. That's a hassle when you have not been in an orchestra before. So uh, that was one hour. Of, I mean, not one hour, but I was probably driving half of the time or whatever. But it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a great thing. And that's, um, that's also. My daddy, uh, he said, you, you did well, son. And he doesn't say that often. <laughs> so you're still competitive? No. No, no. I'm just there for enjoying when I'm a good one, of course. Nonsense. Absolute. No. No, How we... upset were you at the weekend that you didn't get to drive that first car? I upset. I was disappointed because I was all. <laughs> I was all. Uh, it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Craig uh, Davis had done a very good stint in his Mustang, and he was running second in the Piermont Cup, and there were so many cars. And uh, there was the safety car, and uh, it looked really good. I mean, there was the. Uh, Wilmot, I think, on the leading car, he looked very strong. So they and Jordan, so uh, they won deservedly, clearly. But you know, you there's a hope when there's a safety car and everything is punched off, and you knew that immediately the safety car would go out. Craig will come in with the car, and then suddenly all the electronics uh, apparently went off. And instead of coming in the pit lane, he turned in the paddock, and I was there ready to jump in the car. So yeah, I was a little disappointed. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, opportunity for you to ask a question of the nine-time winner. Marino uh, was on our table, and Marino yeah. Franchitti, ladies and gentlemen, just down here, knows of what he talks. Rebecca is going to uh, fire across. Marino, what would you like to know? Hi, Tom. Hey, Marino. Tom, first of all, thanks for being so cool all the time and being so kind to lesser, lesser drivers like, like me. But I want to go back to the, the hard a hard time in your career and I remember seeing you after this when you had your accident in DTM and you had the head injury and you had the really bad concussion how was it coming back from that and how long did it take to to get back to let's say your best and did it change after that or was it the same or how was that yeah you you're down you're doubting at times and um and now coming from you a question like that when when you're in and, and you're having a big accident and you have to be out and you're still having a lot of aftermath. You have, uh, when you're trying to, let's say, just when you get pulse, for me, it was pulse already giving you discomfort, and particularly noise. And even today, I think I'm, I'm particularly more sensitive than my family in terms of, um, what do you call it, in, when you're indoor and with sounds and mm. uh, acoustics. Uh, I'm, so, so something has happened. I realized that. But in the, in the moment coming from this in, in, um, in April, and then I made the comeback for Le Mans uh, in June. 
uh, that was that was key. That was very motivating to do it. But there was a lot of daunting moments, and there was a lot of sort of people, and let's say even the press, were following and say the career is over. There were some people being nice to say, "Well done, you've done a good career. Well done, Tom. You should go and rest. Be good." And you know, so coming from you, I, 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 I the people who have to retire due to an accident, it it really hurts me, and I uh, all for all the drivers who or in people in general having to deal with, with this. It, it, it's, really, uh, it's really hard and it's really terrifying. Uh, I was lucky that I was able to come back. So obviously my injury was not that hard, but I doubted all the way that it was really hard. I did uh, some indoor karting with my friend. I came uh, there uh, one morning and he closed and only him and me, he took lap times and I took some push-ups. He said, drive the other way. And blah, blah, blah. we did different things. And it was not nice. But I was, when I was on it, it still felt good. And it was good. And that actually, yeah. a couple of days with him, I decided to call Ulrich uh, and say, I'm, I'm ready to do Le Mans. And he said, all right, Tom, but I need to see you in the car. And, um, and what they did was then I came to actually to Brands Hatch at that year at the DTM race to drive the taxi. And I drove the taxi, or it's a full proper DTM car, but with no passengers. I drove around when the others were driving with passenger rides. And the doctor was then uh, putting the light in my eyes and, uh, and checked me. And, um, and I said I'm, I was good. I was not completely good, but I am happy I went back and, 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 and did it. And with, uh, with Dindo and Alan, and also the way they welcomed me back. Because it, it's very close to decide that you, 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 you stop. But you know, then then I would not have been part of Le Mans 2008. So I'm I'm incredibly happy I continued. <laughs> That's also why that that victory for me personally, uh, like everyone, or for me personally, is very very important for my further concept, confidence in motorsport. We have Edward here. He's 15 years old and he races for Ginetta, and he has a question for you. Hi Tom. Um, out of all of your LMP and DTM cars, what was your favourite car out of all of them? Uh, it's uh, nice to meet you earlier. I mean, the, the Bentley is the most elegant of the cars. And uh, when I look at it, it, it really gives me it's a proud moment of, of, of being, have been driving the, with the Bentley and the Bentley team. I think the R8, if you look back, uh, it, it, it's an old school still car. It's still very, when everything is very uh, functional, it's before it gets very complex, like, Later, so a lovely car, and and believe it or not, but every time the R8 won at Le Mans, I was one of the drivers. So it has a it has a special heart to me. So even when I see an R8 on the road today, yeah, I will tell my grandchildren. I'll say I have a little bit to do with that, even though I don't. But that's at least something I I at least can do. Uh, I can have for myself. So these two cars probably. But as I said, the, the R18 is the most extreme I have, I have driven because in 14 was my last car driving that uh, professionally, but it had a bit narrow tires, a little bit more comfort in some ways. The, the cockpit was a little bit higher and um, the, the, the regulation were, were, were sort of calmed a little bit down. So 13, 2003, and then you choose any of the years with the R8. Your affinity for the Goodwood and the Goodwood revival, obviously you have affinity 
to what was in the past. How are you then actually seeing the development that is actually taking place within the WEC cars going forward in that respect with all the hybrids? But what is actually your opinion going forward? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Goodwood, I, I keep love and coming there. I mean, it's certainly from Lord Mao, the Duke of Richmond now and his family, and then all his personal. When you go there, we, we are really uh, kind of look after, like we feel we even when we are there, that we are kind of part of the family, all of us international drivers. And you have seen a lot of us are, are keeping coming back, and, and, and every year there's added more to that. So that's really where it starts, that at the heart of any you can say, house or organization. Uh, When the key people are good, then uh, it becomes very good. In terms of racing, I like what's happening in the endurance world. I uh, really like what the manufacturers have come back and supported. And what I particularly like is that it seems, if that's a good word, uh, that what is now agreed between over the borders between the U.S. and um, and FIA and ACO in general, uh, that you now have sports cars running for the outright victories with the same chassis, the the hypercars and the LMDH. Now I may be a bit complex, but basically you can win the Rolex 24 at Daytona, you can win the IMSA in the whole championship, and you can win the WEC, and at the same time you might even win the 24 hours of Le Mans in the same season with the same car. That is, in theory, possible from 2023. And what's also happening in 2023 is that all what we are talking about, uh, or particularly central around Le Mans, that has its 100 years uh, anniversary. Uh, so the centenary of that, uh, that it's, it's 100 years ago since uh, one little... Uh, Bentley crew went down to Le Mans doing the fastest lap and leading not winning the very first race but they made made the fastest lap sitting in this country then the following year in 1924 Bentley actually won Um, that's going to be very important and to have seen so many manufacturers which actually in the beginning were a little bit uh, hesitant to jump on it and I was fearing oh Hypercars, it seems like there's not a lot committing. It was a little bit like the sound of people were saying with Formula One when the first came with the regulation of the new engine, but everyone was sort of against it. But now you can see that it was the right decision because we probably in future, or definitely in future, probably have to go even more. But for the the future of uh, sports cars with all these manufacturers, that's even now when I start to mention, I will forget one or two. This I wouldn't have done a few years ago. <laughs> and when you go back to 1999, which was my biggest disappointment of not winning with that sound machine, what you said before, the biggest, the best sounding car I've had was the V12 with the, with the BMW in that mm. year. But there, all the manufacturers were there again. That was the year, the race of the century, they called it at that time. But uh, now it can be, the real race can be the race of the centuries, and uh, good luck with that. I look so much forward to see what's happening. Time for one more, I think, Rebecca? Um, yes, just, uh, Tom, thank Hello, you. Um, early, earlier, we were in um, downstairs in the rotunda looking at Ari Vatanen's rally car. Any thoughts on rallying? Um, looking back at those Group E cars, looking at the Thousand Legs cars this <laughs> year with all those arrows, 
I mean, surely someone like you who loves aeros would love to get into those quick rally cars. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, versatility rhymes on, uh, on Batman in that sense. Um, I like that. And actually, I've been, I've been blessed and asked to uh, drive at Race of Champions, which will be on ice in the beginning of, uh, I think, beginning, beginning of February. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I will join uh, on the Christofferson team because we, you know, they hate me coming there, the old boy, why is he coming again? But we actually won the Nations Cup in Mexico against Sebastian Vettel and Mick Schumacher mm -hmm. last time. Yeah. So if you win, you are invited for the next one. So I will, I will be there. Uh, it's going to be very cold, but um, I look forward for that. And there will be some rally cars. But a rally, I was thinking about to do some of these historic uh, maybe rally or something like this up in Finland. Uh, there's there are some, sometimes some uh, I've heard about that. That that would be that would be be good. With the uh, Mark II. Yeah, but not with that Mark II. That's on. That's really on. on, on but it, it it would be. Um, I mean, touching on that, uh, Peter Solberg. What a nice guy he is. He has. Uh, he has promised me his Mark II. I can call that and drive that. And I, I should. Uh, I will take that up. And shall shall we leave it. now for that? I can so still read be, maps. So we all. You all heard it. Peter Solberg has invited me to drive a rally in his very nice blue Escort Mark II BDA. It's got to happen, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't it? Please, will you join with me in thanking our friend, Mr. Tom Christensen. And the voice of Le Mans, Stop that. John Heindhoff. Thank you very much, John. Tom's book, Mr. Le Mans, referred to in An Evening with Tom Christensen from the Royal Automobile Club Palmal, is available from Evro Publishers. Our thanks to everyone at the Royal Automobile Club and Tom Christensen for allowing us to broadcast this programme. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.